Hello, my name is Dr. Roger Henderson. I'm a GP in Dumfries and Galloway, and I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. Welcome to this GP Notebook podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes. And if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review to help other listeners find us. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups. And you can follow me there too at Roger the Doctor. Finally, you can visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for podcast episode show notes and gpnotebookeducation.com to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. In this episode, I'll be discussing the heat-related conditions, heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Now, we unfortunately live in a time of global warming and extremes of temperature are no longer the rare events they once were, including in the UK. Each year, millions of people around the world are exposed to the dangers of extreme heat, with more than 5 million dying because of excessively hot or cold conditions. Back in 2003, there was an increase in deaths of 60% amongst people aged over 75 in London in the heat of August that year. And in England that same year, there were over 2,000 excess deaths over the 10-day heatwave period compared with the previous five years over the same period. And in the 2009 heatwave here, there are around 300 excess summer deaths compared with previous years. So climate change means we're all more likely to experience extreme summer temperatures, which in turn increases the risk of heat stroke and other heat illnesses in the general population, particularly in those at risk, such as the elderly. Now, in a nutshell, both heat exhaustion and heat stroke are caused by being exposed to too much heat, and it's possible to get them both inside or outside, even if it's not sunny. Now, looking at heat exhaustion first, this is a mild to moderate heat-related illness, with typical causes being hot weather, exercising in the heat, known as exertional heat illness, dehydration, drinking alcohol in hot weather, and overdressing in the heat, especially in clothes that don't allow your sweat to evaporate, such as synthetic fibres or polyester. Now, this is usually a much milder illness than heat stroke, where your body temperature rises even higher and causes serious problems. But if heat exhaustion isn't treated properly, it can then progress to heat stroke. The symptoms of heat exhaustion may come on suddenly, especially if you're moving around in hot weather. There are many symptoms, but the usual ones typically are cool, pale and moist skin with heavy sweating, feeling faint or dizzy, tired and fatigued, and experiencing muscle cramps in your arms and legs. There may also be thirst, nausea, headache and tummy cramps. Now, it's important in heat exhaustion, the temperature does not rise above 40 degrees centigrade. So typically between 37 and 40 degrees centigrade. And mental status is intact. This is a very important point and a way of differentiating between heat stroke and heat exhaustion. 
The symptoms of heat exhaustion tend to be the same in adults and children, although children can also become slightly floppy or sleepy. Now, if you find someone with symptoms of heat exhaustion, the simple way of treating them is to move them to a cool place, such as the shade or an air-conditioned room, lie them down and raise their feet slightly, removing any excess clothing. Get them to drink plenty of fluids, ideally water, but isotonic drinks are also fine to give. Fan them and spray or sponge them with cool rather than cold water. Now, it may surprise you to learn you should not give antipyretics in cases of heat exhaustion. Now, this is because antipyretics aren't effective in reducing high body temperatures purely related to heat. They work only when the body temperature has been raised by pyrogens. Now, fortunately for all of us, patients with mild heat exhaustion generally improve with those simple measures and symptoms typically resolve within two to three hours, sometimes much more quickly than that. But if they do persist or worsen, or you believe that heat stroke may be a genuine possibility, then arrange for admission to hospital. Now, if we turn to heat stroke, unlike heat exhaustion, heat stroke is a medical emergency. Clinical features of heat stroke include a core body temperature greater than 40 degrees centigrade and, unlike heat exhaustion, central nervous system dysfunction, by which I mean things like altered levels of consciousness ranging from confusion to coma and seizures. Two main types of, of heat stroke. One is classical heat stroke due to passive exposure to severe environmental heat, such as during a heat wave, particularly in older people. And exertional heat stroke is due to strenuous physical activity in the heat of a very hot day. Now, this can also include things like firefighters, soldiers, or construction workers, as well as athletes, for example, running a marathon in very hot weather. The terms sunstroke and heatstroke are often used alternately, and sunstroke is a form of heatstroke and the symptoms and risks are the same. But this only happens because of being exposed to too much direct sunlight, such as falling asleep in the sun. And obviously that can also be linked to other problems such as severe sunburn. The pathophysiology of heat stroke, I'm not going to go into any great detail here, it is complex, but it includes protein denaturation, endotoxin release and thermoregulatory failure, all of which contribute to systemic inflammatory response syndrome, I suppose much like septic shock, and this can lead to multi-organ failure and even death. We distinguish heat stroke from heat exhaustion by the presence of CNS dysfunction such as confusion and seizures, ataxia, lethargy, and even coma, together with anhydrosis, dry, hot skin. Remember, in heat exhaustion, there was often profuse sweating and moist, clammy skin. In heat stroke, it's dry and it's hot. To treat heat stroke in a community setting initially, whilst waiting for emergency help to arrive, move the patient to a cooler place, Remove any excess clothing from them and start rapid active cooling immediately before the patient is transferred to hospital with whatever techniques you have available to you. Now, these include things like wetting and fanning the skin, using cool water towels or wetted ice packs. But it's important to remember to avoid using very aggressive cooling techniques if you're unsure about the diagnosis. 
we should be aiming to achieve a target temperature of no less than 39 degrees centigrade. So the goal of cooling is not to achieve rapid normothermia. The reason for that is this would result in overshoot hypothermia. Obviously, arrange immediate transfer of that patient to hospital for oxygen, intravenous fluids and further assessment. Now, fortunately, most younger people recover well from heat stroke, but unfortunately, in older people over the age of 60 with severe heat stroke, almost half may die as a result. And the prognosis in adults depends on several factors, such as the amount of time that patient has remained at an elevated core temperature and the extent of that hyperthermia. Heat stroke takes longer to recover from than heat exhaustion, as it continues to cause inflammation in your body for some time following treatment. So if you've needed treatment for heat stroke, don't do any exercise or any strenuous movement, uh, including walking for long periods, for about a week. When talking to our patients, when they're uh, starting to exercise again, only ask them to do so when it's cool and for them to build up lightly and slowly over about two weeks. Patients are more likely to make a good recovery from heat stroke if they're in good health and their treatment was quick. So, pulling all this together then, and this will be in the show notes for this episode, heat exhaustion is a mild to moderate heat illness that's typically self-limiting and doesn't usually require hospital treatment. The patient presents with a normal or slightly elevated core temperature, 37 to 39 degrees centigrade, with mild neurological symptoms such as intense thirst, dizziness, syncope, weakness, but an intact mental status, which is one of the key differentials from heat stroke. If untreated, heat exhaustion can progress to heat stroke, although heat stroke can occur without heat exhaustion happening beforehand. By contrast, heat stroke is a medical emergency with a core body temperature greater than 40 degrees centigrade and the presence of central nervous system dysfunction. It may be caused by a passive exposure to severe environmental heat or due to strenuous physical exercise in hot weather. An urgent hospital treatment is required. So that's an overview of how to recognize and treat heat-related conditions, and I do hope you found it helpful. Please do have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebookpodcast.com and we'd be very grateful if you'd consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Feel free to get in touch via social media at gpnotebook or email support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or even ideas for future podcasts. We'd love to hear them. You should also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and download free resources and shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. Thank you for listening, and until the next time, goodbye.